God knows all about our situation before we do, and that he precedes us in any battle, trial, tribulation, difficulty, even death, and that God understands what we call storms are just blinks in his perspective, maybe just a little cough that he can handle, and many times the storm seems to overwhelm us, but as Jeff said, God's got it. 
And so today I want to bring you a message entitled The 50-20 Perspective and Success. Last week I, began, I brought a message to you with a little bit of background about one of the favorite, my favorite characters of the Old Testament in that of Joseph. Joseph handed a raw deal, turned out to be sweet, um, and he knew that God was the lemonade maker of his life, and what looked like lemons, God made something very sweet out of his life. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it's one verse. You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Isn't that a beautiful verse? At the conclusion of Joseph's life, when I say the conclusion of, the conclusion of his storm and how he looked back at the storm of his life and saw God in the midst of the storm doing something beautiful. Back in 1999, I began a journey of a new pastorate up in the Charlotte area and was met by wonderful families that had deep roots and great success for the kingdom of God. And one of those families was the Mackey family in um, the Lancaster area. Bill Mackey uh, is one who was the evangelism director uh, for the state of South Carolina in the South Carolina Baptist uh, circle. And his brother, Ronnie, was vocationally a volunteer missionary to Brazil. And he and his partner, who owned a construction company out of Charlotte, uh, for many, many years built, built churches after churches and helped to literally, to this day, Christianize the country of Brazil. And the son... One of the sons of Ronnie Mackey is a man by the name of Jeffrey Mackey. And you may have heard me use his name, Jeffrey, and I've never used his last name until today because of privacy purposes. I, as a pastor, was uh, granted permission because of my position to be a part of his life. Jeffrey was strung out on drugs caught up in himself, and wrecked his life, wrecked his marriage, wrecked his jobs, wrecked his church relationship. Anything you can imagine was a wreck. And Jeffrey and I connected. And as I looked at him from the day I met him, I said, Jeffrey, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to help you. And here's my number, and 24-7 you can call me any part that you need help. Jeffrey took me up on it, and it seemed like he always called me somewhere between the hours of 1 and 5 a.m. <laughs> and so there was a many a time I went out in the night to find Jeffrey, along with his dad. And we prayed together. We held hands together. I, was, I never sugarcoated anything I ever said to him, but one of the things that we agreed on if he could eat dirt long enough, he will eventually get tired of the dirt and want to rise up and be a better person. Three years ago, his stepmother 
uh, died of a massive heart attack about three and a half years ago that would begin the journey that would change his life for the better. And Jeffrey called me in the middle of the night this week and found me on Facebook through weddings and was able to hit the call button and found me. And the moment I heard his voice, I knew it was Jeffrey. I always wondered what happened to Jeffrey because when I left him, he was still crawling on the belly of the ground, eating and drinking the dirt. And he rose up, active in a church, gave his life back to God, active in a church, has remarried, has another child, has a wonderful job, and works through the Charleston and Myrtle Beach area now. And hopefully, near future, I will introduce him personally to you. And I stood with Jeffrey, even if it would cost me my job as a pastor, I stood with him and said, I'm your friend. I believe in you, and I believe, more importantly, God is going to do something great with your life. And he has. And getting that call was one of the crowns and joys this week of my life. And Jeffrey and I, as we talked, and I talked to his father yesterday uh, and cried together over what God can do. And Jeffrey is a different person because he says, God, I'm tired of living my life for myself, and I need you in control of my life. And Jeffrey's listening probably today because I told him I would be mentioning him uh, in the service. And if he is, uh, I'm, I'm overjoyed uh, and proud of Jeffrey to this day now, more so than I ever have been for what God is doing uh, in his life. Others in that church are probably listening as well. We welcome you as you tune in today, and we thank you. And we rejoice with you in the Lancaster area over what God is doing. But it's the 50-20 perspective. You've got to take a perspective in life that says, you know, what looks like evil, God can do something and bring about good. It means that God sees the whole big picture of things. He can see beyond what we can see. He can see the future. He can make everything come about in his timing. And we've got to believe that whatever difficulty, evil that happens in our life, that God can, can take that perspective and turn it into the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And as Joseph looked at his life, knowing that all that he had received that was very unjust, um, he saw that God was up to something greater than what he could ever imagine. This message is so you and I to be prepared. The objective is so that you and I adopt in our personal life today the 50-20 perspective. To realize, as, as Dr. David Siemens, the outstanding Methodist pastor and writer, said one day, he said, all of us need a 50-20 perspective on life, based on Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And this is the statement. You're going to see this statement stay up on the screen for a little while, and it's this. We cannot control what happens to us, but we can control how we respond to what happens to us. You cannot control what happens to us, but you can control how you respond to what happens to you. And so Joseph makes this statement here in verse 20 that what, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about this day to save many people, to save the lives of many people. 
Think about the life of this one man for just a moment. Success in life will not be determined by the things that happen to us, the lucky breaks that go our way, as much as how it is important that we respond to the things that happen to us in life and make the best that it is. The life of Joseph is the beautiful example of this happening. Joseph began life in a very dysfunctional family. Dysfunctional is a word that we've come up with to try to describe a generation or a phenomenon of of the present-day families. And in all sense of the term, we all come from some dysfunctionality in our life. And yet, whether we have contributed to that dysfunction or whether we have been the victim of, it doesn't change the fact that we all understand dysfunctionality. And so here we see in this particular family, Jacob. Jacob is the father of Joseph, was less than an ideal father, mind you. He had made mistakes. He married more than one wife. These wives had handmaidens who also functioned as surrogate wives. And yet when Joseph was born into the family, there had already been 10 sons born to Jacob from the collection of his wives. And yet his mother, Joseph's mother, was the favorite wife of Jacob. And as a result, since his son of this father's favorite wife, as he was, was born later in Jacob's life, it was soon to be obvious that the father had a favorite, and his name was Joseph. One sign that he was his father's favorite was the beautiful long-sleeve coat of many colors that his father provided for him that caused him to stand out amongst his siblings. This coat distinguished him from his other brothers, indicating special privileges had been granted to Joseph and not the other ten. Now, this is dysfunction, isn't it? He kept his father informed, this is what Joseph did, is he would go back to dad and he would always tell dad of all the indiscretions that his other brothers did. He was a tattleteller. Just to get a little pat on the back, to stay in grace and good favor with daddy. He shared with his brothers and his father what had perceived to be a vision from God that God had given him would ultimately have authority over the whole family. And that just, that just blew their circuit. Now, not only is Joseph the father's favorite, now apparently to the brothers, Joseph is God's favorite that can predict that the authority of God is going to land over all this family. How prophetic that would become. This gave birth in the heart of the brothers deep animosity. And this obviously began their dysfunctional family and began hatred. All of us understand relationships. We've had some great ones and we've had some not so great ones. We all understand it. That doesn't mean you're less of a person or a worse person or a good person. That's just a fact. 
Those are the things that have happened to us. Now, if we go back and define those relationships, regardless of how good they were and how bad they turned, how did you respond to that relationship of badness? You couldn't change that it happened, but you could change how you respond. Now, some of us will say, I think I did well. I think it could have helped someone else if they hear my story. And there are some of us in this room would say, I don't want anybody to know, and I hope no one ever finds out. We've all been there. I, too, in there. Many people use their families as an excuse for devout behavior or defiant behavior when failures exist or successes happen. When questioned about their lives, they're quick to point out the disadvantage they had in their family. Oh, if you just only knew a little bit about my background, you would understand why I did this. However, it's well to remember that from the 50-20 perspective, it is not your family that determines whether or not you will be successful, but how you respond to the family that gives you life. Jeffrey Mackey's two major problems, Jeffrey, I really hope you listen, two major problems that he had in his life is that he resented his stepmom and he kind of resented his dad because his dad was such a great man, his uncle was such a great man, Jeffrey never could live up to that greatness. And, and therefore, that success in life for him was basically all defined by his family. And it wasn't until Jeffrey said, I am Jeffrey Mackey. I am not my father. I'm not my uncle. I'm not anybody else. I am who I am, and I'm going to be Jeffrey from this day forward. That's when he made a difference. And that's when it changed, where he felt like he didn't have to live up to things. He just had to give in to things, give in to God, and let God live the rest of his life. The brothers of Joseph plotted, and yet it expressed their animosity toward him by putting him in a position to sell him into slavery instead of kill him and to sell him to the Midianites who was passing by. This betrayal on the part of the brothers sent him away from the home as a young man, disconnected him from his father, the favorite of all, to disconnect him from that relationship, and now he became a slave in a foreign land. Aha, we got you. And so now the brothers kind of go back to Jacob, create a fake death with some blood and say, I'm sorry, he's dead. He's gone. The father grieves, and yet, Life moves on eventually for the family, or at least they think. And so Joseph demonstrates an ability to survive in the midst of this that began that journey, and all along he had to have had, and we know he had, this 50-20 perspective that what you meant for evil, God meant for good, and he did it so for the survival of many people, not just my life. So when he arrived in Egypt, He ended up working for the home of an influential Egyptian by the name of Potiphar. And yet he took advantage of the opportunity and faithfully fulfilled the responsibilities as a slave and to be example as a slave in that foreign land. And over a period of time, this resulted in him being promoted to trusted manager of the household of Potiphar. But this did not protect him from disappointments. Now, as he's in the household of Potiphar, therefore he has to have conversation and and relationship 
with other people in the family, and one of them was the wife of Potiphar. And so the wife of his master did him a great injustice. You see, she was attracted to Joseph, and she wanted him in a physical way, and Joseph turned her down. And as a result, she made up these lies that he had attempted to rape her and abuse her and all this stuff. And yet, as a result, Potiphar became angry and threw Joseph in prison. And yet here he is in prison. Now he's gone from the right hand, the the right eye, the left eye, the, the epitome of all in his father's care to now being sold into slavery and therefore father thinks he's dead. And he's a slave in a foreign country now in prison. He's getting a raw deal. Joseph's sense was that that the rightness and the fear of God was more important to him than betraying the trust of his master. And as a result, he finds himself confined to prison. It looks like nothing good can happen in this young man's life. But while he was in prison, he demonstrated the 50-20 perspective. Instead of responding to the situation with bitterness, he seeks to make the most of his imprisonment. He realizing that God is up to something bigger than what he's in, and the situation does not have to overwhelm him, but what's going to overwhelm him is the response to God in his life. He became known to the prisoners as one who could be trusted and one who could be helpful. And while in prison, he became helpful to two servants of Pharaoh, the chief butler and the chief baker. The chief butler and the chief baker were brought before Pharaoh, and they were asked to interpret a dream that Pharaoh had. They could not interpret the dream. As a result, Pharaoh got mad at him, took their two chief great officers of Pharaoh, and threw the chief butler and the chief baker into prison. And here they are right there in prison with Joseph. And the chief baker and butler begins to tell Joseph about the dreams that they're having and what's going on and everything that they're having in their life and the dream that that Pharaoh is having. So in this dream that the chief butler shares with Joseph, he goes on to hear this story. And Joseph says, very simple, with the wisdom of God, Joseph interprets the dream. Three branches budded, had blossoms clustered to appear as ripe fruit. Then he saw Pharaoh's cup in his hand, and he took the grapes from the three branches, pressed them into the cup of Pharaoh. Joseph explained to the chief um, butler that this dream is an interpretation that Pharaoh is going to come back into this prison and rescue you and restore you back to leadership in Pharaoh's hands. After explaining this good, Joseph says, but I got one little simple request. When this happens, not if, when this comes about, Remember me. I'm ready to get out of this place. Remember me. Okay, will do, Joseph. Thank you. Sure enough, the butler gets back in position. But guess what happens? He forgets. Or it's the chief baker, I'm sorry. He forgets about Joseph. And so the bad news is that, that the chief butler is rescued. The chief baker is now up against the challenge. So here they are, Joseph and the chief baker. And he thinks, you know, I got a dream too, Joseph. 
And he gives him a dream, and then Joseph says to interpretation of the dream, he says, I got bad news. In three days, you're going to die. You're going to be executed by Pharaoh. And he was. So can you imagine? Here was Joseph going down, 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 and down. At some point, you got to get behind Joseph and say, Joseph, you know what? Just curse God and die. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Book of Job. In fact, Joseph, why don't you just start taking matters in your hands, and if you do get out of prison, we'll help you riot it, and we'll help you fight for your life. You need to get even. You need to take vengeance in your hand, because if you don't, nobody else is going to do it for you. And if you're successful and kill one person because of that vengeance, you will be vindicated. That's kind of how we want to be. Get the heroism out of Joseph. And so you've been given raw onions. Now, you have no way to bake them and cook them. You're just going to have to eat them as they're raw and cry through it. Or Joseph's idea, now just give me a little bit of heat, a little bit of oil. I can cook those onions, and they'll be smooth when they go down. Well, after waiting in prison for an extended period of time, here is the final moment that Joseph's at. And so here in this second dream, Joseph is able to interpret the dream that is now a dream that has been presented to him from this particular baker about Pharaoh's dream. I'd love to have him sing a song. He could sing this song. We talked this week. It's a dream about the fatted cows. It's a dream about the fat cows feeding in a meadow and seven other cows that come up out of the river and they appear to be almost starved to death. These starved cows eat up the seven healthy fat cows. And the second dream is where the seven heads of grain on one stalk of wheat and the heads that were plump and good, and then when appeared, the seven scrawny heads are there, and the seven heads eat up the full grains of good wheat. None of Pharaoh's magicians and none of Pharaoh's wise men could explain this dream, and this was it. The butler couldn't do it. He was fearful of his prison again after being restored, and he says, hey, I remember one man who can interpret this dream. And he goes and gets Joseph and presents him to Pharaoh, and he says, Pharaoh, this dream basically means this. There are going to be seven good years of harvest, followed by seven severe famine years to follow. Joseph so impressed, I mean, Pharaoh so impressed by Joseph, he says, okay, I believe you. And the wisdom of your God has granted this to you. That's the way Pharaoh looks at it, his God, not Pharaoh's. And if this is so, then I need someone to oversee this project of seven great years of storage of grain so that we can make it through the seven famine years that follow, and he puts Joseph in charge. And to orchestrate that, to create the plan, and as a result, Egypt is going to feed the known world from this harvest. And Joseph 
is the overseer. What you meant for evil, God meant to for good for the survival of many people. 50-20 perspective. It just could be that you're going through something today that if you and I together take on that 50-20 perspective, it just may be that what you're going through is the survival of many people, not just you. Not just so that you come through as gold. Well, Joseph becomes that trusted leader in Pharaoh's court, and as a result, this is where we find the text. Believe it or not, and it's not mean it's going to be a long sermon, that is the introduction to this scripture. I promise you, it is not going to get any much longer. So we're in the text. And so here is the, the problem. Now they've gone through the seven good years, and they're getting towards the end of the seven bad years. And the people of Canaan, even, it has overflowed into other nations. The people of Canaan, Israel, all that nation where the brothers and the father live, Joseph's brothers and fathers and family and children and aunts, uncles and, and nephews and nieces, they're all living in Canaan. Jacob is still alive at this point, and he sends two of his sons and says, hey, I've heard a rumor that they have plenty enough grain in Egypt to feed us. Why don't you go to Egypt and find out if this is true? Two of the brothers comes to Egypt. Joseph recognizes the brothers, but the brothers do not recognize him. And so they inquire about the grain, and so Joseph says, why don't you go back and get all your family, knowing that he wanted to see his daddy, and he wanted to be reunited, not with just two brothers, but all of them. Why don't you go back to Canaan and bring the entire family to Egypt, and I'll take care of it. And so that's where we are. And they come back, and they're right there before Joseph, and they present themselves before Joseph. And now Joseph I mean, Jacob, the father of these sons, has now died, okay? And the brothers are afraid that Joseph has faked all this and has been good to us and has provided for us just because of daddy's sake. And now that daddy's gone, he's going to take revenge out on us. And so they get in a worshipful position and they begin to bow down in mercy, have mercy upon us. And Joseph's like, Get real. This is not about you. Get out of your selfish thinking. It's not about you. This is about God. It doesn't matter what you've done to me. Because what you meant for evil, when I recognized that it was evil, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it, it, is, it was wrong. But what you meant for evil, God meant for good. For the salvation and the survival of many people. This is not about you. This is about a global event. This is about changing the world because of your actions. And it's looking at this evil and this problematic spot in my life as something grand and beautiful as to what God can do. We cannot control what happens to us, but we can control how we respond to what happens to us.
our success will be determined based on that response of how we respond to that situation. So now let me close with a couple of things. Five, four simple, now I want to say five, it might turn out to be five, but four simple lessons that we can learn from this 50-20 perspective. Number one is this, lessons of 50-20 perspective. What others meant for evil, God meant for good. It will save us from bitterness. You will not find Joseph being bitter. Even though we may be championing behind him and cheerleading behind him, come on, Joseph, at least exert a little authority. If you don't kill him, at least injure him. But Joseph is not bitter. And so this 50-20 perspective, looking at the, the fact that God has a bigger plan than beyond us, it can save us in the midst of that terribleness. It can save us from bitterness. I have been there. I have walked in those shoes. You have been there. You have walked in those shoes. You understand, do I choose to be bitter and take it out on others, or do I remain quiet and let them eat crow? And so you just remain quiet and you refuse to battle in their mess and to become bitter. Bitterness is a poison to the human spirit. There will be enough bad things that happen in life that bitterness will be a possibility for all of us. The only thing that you, I can do that saves us from that bitterness is the choice that you and I make to see life from God's perspective. Your confidence in God, my confidence in God, will keep us from becoming bitter toward the people that have done us wrong. You can know with assurance that God will work through whatever happens in your life for good if you continue to love him and, and continue in that pattern of that purpose that he has called you unto. You can be bitter over what you perceive to be failures of your parents, what one of your siblings has done to you, what an employer has done to you, the betrayal of a friend, or a thousand different things. Bitterness will keep you from the success of life defined in joy. And Joseph refused bitterness. He chose the 50-20 perspective that kept him sane. Number two is that if you choose that 50-20 perspective, another simple lesson is that it keeps us from making mistakes. Now, the mistake would have been bring all the family here and I'm going to exert my authority and I'm going to show you in a sense that I'm basically acting as your God today and I'm going to pronounce judgment on your life and I'm going to take care of the situation and you're going to die and I'm going to live and I'm going to laugh as it happens. That would be a bad mistake. That's what, in a sense, the common world would want Joseph to do. Stand up for yourself. You have the right. Do what you have to do. But he did not make that mistake. You see, many go through life explaining their failures. The failures that someone else did to them. Their parents, their employer, their friend, their mate. Someone else did this. And therefore, this is why I am who I am today. They allow the injustice or the wrong to become the focus of their lives and they miss out on what God's best is for their life. 
the 50-20 perspective allowed Joseph to use the things that were meant to be stumbling stones to become stepping stones to greatness. And it was out of what he was, was meant to be evil and wrong. It was out of that that everything became in focus and gave him opportunity after opportunity to make a, to be an example in his situation and to represent the God of this world in every situation. It was a matter of facing life from the 50-20 perspective. Number three is that perspective also keeps us or fills our heart with expectancy. Expectancy. You know, when, when a husband and a wife find out that they are going to be with child, at first it's a little fearful, and then you begin to, to, to wonder, okay, what's going to happen? You know, after you get over that first initialness and you begin to realize, okay, we're growing a baby here. We're bringing a baby into the world. Another person, a little person is going to come into this world and we have opportunity to shape and form that person in good or bad, in relationship to God or not. And it's our responsibility as parents to raise that child and give every opportunity for that child to, uh, to, to know the admonitions of the Lord and to grow them up right. And then when they get to their point of life and it cycles over and they're doing the same, you look back and you smile with joy. Okay, I've done what I've called to do. I've raised a child for a better generation to be a better generation of people in this world. It becomes a life of expectancy in that. You see, when we take on a 50-20 perspective, it's like this. God, I know I've gone through prison. I know I've gone through accusations. I know I've been accused of this. I know I've, I've been handed raw lemons. I mean, been handed lemons. I've been handed raw onions. I have been handed everything wrong in my life. But God, I've got a perspective and I'm excited that you've got to be up to something grand here because this is very overwhelming for me. I believe in you and I know that you understand my life. You see it from afar. You see it up close. You know everything about me, everything that's within me and around me. You know everything about me. Search me and try me and know my thoughts and see if there are any wicked way in me. And I know you've done that. And so, God, you can see this perspective. And so I'm trusting and I'm expecting that if this is overwhelming for me, it's going to be something grand for you. And I'm expecting that grandness. Who would have thought that Joseph, cratch, scratching and clawing, trying to get out of the muddy pit, dirt underneath his fingernails, up on his face, tasting the dust of that clay in his mouth, trying to yell for someone to get him out of this pit that the brothers put him in. Who would have thought that in that midst of that situation, that here he stood, that if Pharaoh died, he would become the Pharaoh of Egypt. He would be the man in charge. Who would have thought he would be where he was that day? That's expectancy. What a blessing it is to have a grateful and expectant heart of what God's going to do. Number four and last, it will position us to bless others. It continued to put Joseph in every situation to bless someone else. 
This is the story of Joseph. Wherever he found himself, he was a blessing. He was a blessing in the house of Potiphar as a slave. He was a blessing in prison of Pharaoh. He was a blessing in the house of Pharaoh as a trusted servant. And now he's a blessing to his own father and family in a critical time of need. Without that 50-20 perspective, none of this would have ever happened. This is the lesson for all of us. It is not what happens to us that makes us makes the difference. It is how we respond to what happens to us that makes the greatest difference in life. I know I could have saved you a lot of time if I'd have just asked this one question and then we left, but I don't think the question would have made as much sense as you see this question appear before you. Do we respond with a confidence and faith in God or do we respond with resentment and bitterness? Do we respond with a confidence and faith in God or do we respond with resentment and bitterness? That's the question for us to consider. And this is not a question to make you feel guilty. It's not a question to make you feel like I failed. It's not a question to pat so that you can pat yourself on the back and say I've done well. That's not what it's about. It's about adopting for our own personal life the 50-20 perspective and to look at life from the perspective of success that God has already put in motion for our individual lives. And knowing that he knows more about us than we know about ourselves, anything that happens to us is not surprising him. It's not saying, oh my goodness, how am I going to handle this situation? It's like, now I got him where I've got him, and now I'm going to just scratch the back a little bit, and I'm going to see how things are going to come out and how they respond and see if they're going to allow me to be God in this situation instead of us being our own little God and taking care of itself. It's where it's like as if God says, you know, I'm ready to do something great. I've always been ready to do something great in every individual's life. But I'm not going to be to where you are a puppet on a string to make it happen. I want you to have free will and free choice because when you choose me, God, choose me in this situation, I'm going to blow your circuit beyond amazement. And if you allow me to do it, I'll do it. And so when we say, yes, God, yes, like a Jeffrey Mackey who finally says, yes, God, I'm tired of eating dirt, and I'm ready to rise up above this situation and be a different person, to be the person you've created me to be. And when he's ready, when we're ready to do that, God says, finally, you got it. It's taken you 20 years, but you got it. And now that you got it, get out of the way and watch what I do. It's going to be amazing. So will you respond to God working in your life. Give up the negative. Give up the control of that negative and watch for the big picture of what God's going to do. When I walked away from the 
church over 10 years ago, I had no idea I'd be where I am today. I felt devastated. I felt embarrassed. I felt even a great failure. But I can say today that I am a better person today than I ever was when I was making a six-digit salary and had everything plated for me in life. I'd rather scratch and claw and, and, and get dirty hand shoulder to shoulder than to be above anybody else. And it's a good feeling to know that God's got it, Jeff, as you said, that God's got this. It's a good feeling to know, Dee, that God's got this. It's a good feeling to know something better is around the corner. But we have to say, take over, God. I'm going to take a back seat. I don't need any glory. I don't need any pat on the back. I'll get behind the shadow of the cross, and I'll let you be seen. When that happens, wow, good things occur. You know, the end of the story was Joseph was reunited with his family. And all ends well, happily ever after. Thanks be unto God. So I'm looking for the happy ever after and the thanks be unto God. Jeffrey provided me this week the happily ever after. Again, Jeffrey, if you're listening, thank you for submitting your life to Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you for this very day, this very hour, and this very moment of decision. Grant us the courage and the wherewithal to choose you as Lord over our life situation, to see the grand greatness and not the negative or the bitter, to place you as Lord and that lordship over all things, what seems like a disappearing event of our life or a monumental appearance of our life. Thank you, God, for knowing us and not running from us, but waiting on us to surrender. In your name that we pray, amen.